0: Guys, welcome to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. I am Kevin Estella, the uh, one of the two hosts for this introduction. I'm joined by someone who I never get a chance to actually be in the podcast room with, and that is my buddy Rob Parsons. What's, What's up, Rob?
1: Not much. How are you doing, Kevin? I
0: am doing fantastic. Uh, I think people are going to enjoy this podcast today but before we get to this podcast uh, with Dan Luna who's an incredible incredible human being who has done some amazing work for this country in the SEAL teams and is currently working on a dissertation in pre-trauma we have to give thanks to our advertisers that make all these podcasts possible so who do we have first
1: Ron? we've got triarch systems they're one of our longtime sponsors uh they're they're great guys uh we love working with them and more importantly we love their guns yes i'm still waiting i've never actually put in a formal request for a
0: tri 11 uh, or one of their air 15s or one of their glock pistols but i happen
1: to have a brand new glock that i wouldn't mind having customized a little bit you've shot a bunch of them right i've shot some yeah and they i mean everything that i've shot has been just Flawless. It's been great. And obviously our training team loves them. We've, mm-hmm. we've got a bunch in their hands. Mike loves his. Um, we, we, we should get a few more floating around here at corporate uh, soon. But uh, everything that I've shot has been great. They've been, you know, worked great. And we have put thousands and thousands of rounds through these guns and uh, abused them really. And, and they just keep on going. Yeah, it's hard to improve upon certain perfections. Uh, like Glock makes
0: a fantastic pistol, trust us. Triarch makes it better Uh, 1911s are usually prone to some type of failure or some type of unreliability Um, the 1911s I've used from Triarch are phenomenal Um, so what you can simply do is go to their website, triarchsystems.com. If you use the coupon code fieldcraft, it will allow you to get 5% off of new orders. Uh, just give them a little bit of time. I mean, all gun manufacturers are, are fulfilling orders right now, but if you can
1: save a little money, it'll be worth that a little extra weight. So hang in there. Yep. Uh, next up, we've got another longtime sponsor, Casey Highlights. Uh, I... I love those guys. Um, I've spent a, a bunch of time with them um, over the last year, and they're they're again just good people, um, and their products, good products. Uh, we've got them just littered all over a bunch of our rigs, and um, if you do any off roading, mm-hmm. um, we had our mobility experience yes. uh, just a week in a week, in, oh, oh, just over a week ago, and. really got out at night and can really just see the difference between good lights and not good lights. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. When
0: we got the guys stuck in the mud, I remember we were, we actually were sitting in the field together, uh, watching people get stuck in the mud. And (laughs) when vehicles that came by equipped with Uh, auxiliary lighting, right? KC Highlights. I mean, it it was like you were sitting in broad daylight. Um, I mean, you really can't have a surplus of light in the great outdoors at night when you're trying to navigate through muddy terrain, rocky terrain. Um, Your standard headlights are just not enough. So uh, if you go to kchighlights.com and use the coupon code FIELDCRAFT, That'll get you 10% off of your order. And while you're there, check out not only the lights for your vehicle, but check out the lights that they have for the house. Uh, We believe in preparedness. We believe in home preparedness. And they have some pretty good lanterns that are you know, night and day difference between uh, using something that runs off a gas with an open flame versus something that uses LEDs, burns for a long time. Highly recommend those two. So check them
1: out when you get a chance. And as an added bonus, Give you a little sneak peek. Uh, we we've started telling a few people about it, but we have a Polaris that we just got in, and uh, we are working on building it out, and that will include uh, a bunch of KC lights on it. And we're super excited to be working with them on that build and getting that built out um, over the next couple of months. Yeah, it's already a very capable vehicle, but.
0: Uh, I know Addison's gonna tweak it, and make it pretty damn awesome. So guys, please check out those sponsors. Uh, we're gonna get right into this podcast. Check it out, it's me interviewing my buddy, Dan Luna. Hey guys, welcome to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. I am your host for this particular episode. My name is Kevin Estella, I'm the director of training, but I also get pressed into service every once in a while, talking to some really fascinating people. And for this particular episode, I'm joined by a friend of mine that I've known for probably three or four years now, and you know we've got an interesting connection, and you know there's a lot of crossing lines, so to speak, of you know friends and mutual places and this and that. And I think you're going to enjoy this this conversation we're going to have. Uh, but on a very serious note, the work that this gentleman is doing, I think, is groundbreaking, and I know we have a lot of listeners that come from the military background, and we have a lot of listeners that follow us because they're looking to become a better version of themselves. They're looking to become stronger. And this gentleman's work I think is absolutely fascinating. I really think you're going to get something out of it. So I'm joined today by a gentleman by the name of Dan Luna. And Dan has a very, very interesting career uh, in Naval Special Warfare, but in addition to being a sailor, in addition to being a member of the military, he is also an academic who's currently pursuing a Ph.D. And again, very, very interesting topic. So I'm, I'm going to stop talking about him and let him talk about himself because he's an interesting guy. Dan, welcome to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. How are you, buddy?
2: I'm doing well. I'm I'm excited just to hang out and talk to you Kevin so uh, this is really cool for me yeah thank you for having me on
0: yeah we haven't seen each other in a while and we we talk every so often but yeah it's gonna be a blast just catching up and hearing how how things are going with the program so let's talk about that program and work our way backwards Uh, you're currently in a PhD program uh, and whereabouts are you in that process and what's the the focus of your studies
2: So first of all, I follow you on Instagram just to to keep tabs on you. And (laughs) every time I look at your Instagram page, I feel like such a wimp because there you are doing this (laughs) manly outdoor stuff. And I'm I'm indoors doing the complete opposite, uh, nose down in bucks. So uh, so thank you for doing what you're doing and and motivating me and making me feel like such a wimp while I'm doing all my score.
0: God, you, um, you can't you can't even say that fairly though because <laughs> while while I was nose down as a as an academic teaching in the school system, you were doing some kickass stuff overseas. So I, I guess uh, you know, the universe finds balance, and maybe we're at that balance point now where. You know, the shoes on the other foot or or whatever you want to call it. So
2: I, all right, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. And that makes me feel better. So I appreciate that. I feel less of a wimp now. Um so I'm currently at USC, uh, Southern California. I'm doing a doctorate of education, which I would actually talk to you about uh offline. I think mm-hmm. it'd be, you know, with your teaching background. Uh, I think you'd find it really interesting. The reason why I chose this program, uh, it is an online program, it's a hybrid. There's some, uh, you know, you go on, on the campus, it's live sessions, uh, you know, it's over a few years, it's a doctorate of education. I chose this specific program because I'm looking to develop pre-trauma curriculum is the rough name, you know, it can change names, I'm not set on the name, but when I say that name, People understand uh, really what I'm I'm looking to do, and where this came about was there's a lot of books written by different you know veterans and war vets or people that have been through you know amazing uh, trials throughout their life, and they speak of man if I knew this or only if somebody had this conversation with me or if I'd done these, so it's all hindsight. And and every time I I speak to somebody about this, they're like, oh, Dan, have you read this book or have you read this book? And some of the books I've read and I've looked at, typically my response is "Did they develop curriculum. Is there did they do the research? Is there is there a program built to, like, put those lessons learned into practice for the next generation? And the answer is No. (laughs) there's no curriculum to really help an individual. And, and also, you know, my background is military, but what I've seen, you know, I've been speaking about this for about six, seven years now is it's not just the military. It's, it's doctors, it's firefighters, it's police officers, and it's people in the corporate. So there's some element that applies to really just somebody in that lives life. You know, and I don't want to jump into to the nerdiness of, you know, the pers- the high percentage and the high likelihood of somebody in their adult life experiencing a traumatic event, much less being in an occupation where statistically their chances and their likelihood will increase uh, because of what they their chosen profession. So, a lot of the work that I'm doing now uh, with my dissertation, and I'm still working through it is is what does trying to answer this question of what does pre-trauma curriculum what does that look like and there's certain things where somebody's like oh i've gotten training like that and they'll and they'll nest it in resilience i've got this resiliency training and i'll ask them like oh how long was it what did you take away and typically it wasn't very long they can't remember anything that they learned from it and so then I point out, well, that's kind of the, the issue with the current training. And so if, as you look at education, it, specific to pre-trauma, there has to be behavior modification. There has to be goal setting. There has to be new behaviors that that get set in place. There has to be something that that changes and there has to be awareness created for the individual. And so educationally, it's actually a unique, uh, problem to tackle, um, but essentially it started from, you know, from my own story of of 15 years of, of combat, going to the Naval Academy, spending my time there as an instructor, and um, just seeing students getting ready to enter in that same cycle as I was coming out of that cycle and kind of going through all the weird veteran stuff. Uh, that you hear most veterans go through so because of my past experience it really uh, propelled me forward with this new mission if you will to pour my past into something mean- meaningful moving into the future
0: this is something that sounds like it's it's Been around for quite some time in terms of the problem that you're trying to address. I know my mentor, Marty, he was a Vietnam veteran and he describes a scene very much like that scene in Platoon where Charlie Sheen is walking as a new guy And he sees these guys walking past him and they're all tattered and worn. And he's, he's looking at their expression on their faces. And and Marty was talking about how, you know, if he could go back and talk to himself, right? Like what would he tell himself about the things that he saw? But what I see this, not only being generational, I, as you mentioned, trauma is, is such a broad topic. I mean, it can be applied to the military and obviously what you're doing is saving lives i mean we know the statistics 22 veterans a day uh, you know commit suicide due to trauma related uh, circumstances uh, or post-traumatic trauma related circumstances but as you mentioned there are law enforcement guys that see car accidents every single day Uh, and trauma since it can be defined as just about anything i mean trauma could I mean potentially be uh, a terrible breakup that someone has with a boyfriend or a girlfriend it could be defined as you know someone going through watching parents fighting and seeing that as as a kid like how do you teach people before it happens you're essentially trying to get ahead of the power curve as opposed to being reactionary which we all know is is a lot slower Um, I mean do you see it being something that's that far reaching or are you just trying within your, your doctorate, which I'm sure has to be very specific. Uh, I mean, how do you, how do you limit what you're doing, but at the same time, keep it open to all the potential that it has?
2: So it's a, it is a heavy lift and right now I'm spending a lot of my time. So so often with things, we jump to solutions. So it's real easy to wag our finger at something like, oh, if, if my company just did this, or if this person just did this, or if you know the government just did this. And when we turn that finger back on ourselves and we start asking questions, vice making statements. And so really that's what I've done with this problem. It's like, hey, what is the problem? what are the common themes that we can see? What is this root? And so I'm still really excavating because like you said, trauma is trauma itself. If you could, if you spoke to any psychologist, they'd be like, Oh, like what kind of trauma are we talking about? You know, like Mm -hmm. how is it formed? And, And so how I'm niching it down is organizational trauma, even more like in an organization, what are the known factors that contribute to somebody else's mental illness, mental health issue, stress. What are those issues within an organization? Right now I'm currently looking at PTSD within the military. That makes sense because of my background. You know, So for school, I'm, I'm narrowing it down and Outside of school, I can I can open it up. So I do work with SWAT teams, and I work with other organizations. And typically, where I start is is their their mindset or their worldview or the frame in which they um, in which their, their mental models in the way they see their organization and the work that they do. And so that's the start point. If it's something uh, to put it in context for you, you know, hey, you're getting ready to go out on this, on this trip. You're getting ready to explore something. You're getting ready. So it's part of that preparation. So now to pause and hey, there's the physical items list. Hey, we need all this stuff. Okay, got it. What does that mental checklist look like? Hey somebody could die. hey we're going to go to Africa we're going to go on this big game hunt or we're going to go on this reserve and take pictures whatever it is hey you may round a bush and be staring eye to eye with with a lion like are you ready for that are you if you have if you're there with colleagues or peers or teammates are you ready to see certain things are you ready to protect them so it's really reflection on the future and I use that language because a lot of the work that I do in the leadership realm as a leadership coach is reflection, particularly in the future. So reflection, people think it's just on the past. Really, reflection just means to deeply consider. So I can deeply consider the past or reflect on uh, on action, or I can be present-minded, self-observe, or reflect in action or I can reflect on the future or envision or foresight or mind's eye or whatever the language you want to use. So I do a lot of work kind of in the civilian world as a leadership coach now with reflection. I really help leaders navigate their world by not telling them by asking questions and so there's coaching to instruct and coaching to facilitate. So as a leadership coach, I coach to facilitate because their leadership realm, those aren't my questions to answer. They're theirs. I just help them navigate it. So what I've done is I've really taken my past and what I do in, in corporate and what I saw working with midshipmen. And then when I retired and I left the Naval Academy is this, this, metamorphosis came to be and it's what I call pre-traumatic coaching and so now I'm really looking at curriculum and pre-trauma education and uh, right now I think resilience is nested in that so depending on your definition and there's the academic definition of resilience and I have these conversations all the time with academic nerds so there's the academic definition and there's how people translate that and use that word in their day to day. So I really just meet people where they are, however they define it. And I just work with them once again through the coaching, through facilitating to help them navigate their world. And now even more niche is I'm looking at this pre-trauma and really helping individuals navigate the future specific to events that they may experience. So as they experience these events that's external to themselves, how do they internalize these events. And that's really where, you know, as you're talking about what I'm talking about here, psychological trauma, not physical trauma. Mm -hmm. That is what is inside an individual. So how they think about it, how they feel about it, how they process it, the sensations that come from it, where they hold it, you know, so even in our language, we'll be like, where do you hold stress? So our body holds things. So really connect with them and like, hey, what work can we do now To better prepare you for some things that you may experience in the future and what is the what is that framework in which you look at those things?
0: You know, I think for our listeners a lot of them being very interested in the firearms community they might get a, a taste of this with uh, some instructors saying well, okay you are deciding to carry a firearm you've taken the steps you've gotten your permit you're now carrying you're, you're practicing every morning with dry fire you go to the range you take a few courses that are teaching you some decision-making but let's say worst-case scenario that you do have to pull the trigger on someone what are the first the second the third order of effects and i think some people are are quick to to carry without thinking through those and beyond the firearms community i think a lot of people don't make that a regular process where you're like okay let's plan this out now if i do x then this is going to happen and then this and then this it almost remind reminds me of those commercials like uh you know john woke up this morning and you know john had a cup of coffee and because john had a cup of coffee he got more aggressive and he ran a red light and because he ran a red light you know like they were they were tongue-in-cheek they were, tongue were kind of comical but i think if we do more of what you're suggesting which is thinking through asking those questions, if I do this, then what? I think that is a, is a great solution, but I mean, the the work you've been doing and even the journal that you have, which I wanna talk about in just a bit, that's already starting to, to broach those topics, right? Like it's getting people to think about topics that maybe are uncomfortable, but even though they're uncomfortable, they have to be brought up. Um, your journal, I think does a great job of that. But what I also like about your journal is that it puts a timeline on answering certain actionable questions. Like, oh, are you willing to do this? How much time are you willing to commit to it? And I think that's one of the first questions in your journal is you say, how much time are you willing to commit to journaling? Writing things down, taking things from being internal, right inside your head, inside your, your, your mind and your psyche, and actually putting them down on paper, which I don't think enough people do. Um, So just kudos to you for, for doing all that.
2: Yeah. First, thank you. Uh, thank you for recognizing that. I I really appreciate that. You know, I put a, I put a lot of hard work in that and it's, there's proper ways to journal and there's improper ways. And so, so many of my academics and even in my past, I would hear somebody ask like, how do you journal? How do you journal? How do you journal? And so that's where this idea of, a guided journal came in. And so, and then what I did as a leadership coach, we have coaching arcs, arcs in conversations. And so there's ways that people can get coached and leadership coaches are expensive. So what I wanted to do was, was make that, that service available through a product. So now leadership coaching is more accessible hunt, you know, That's why I have the topics that I chose to make it relevant to leaders. And it's really relevant to leaders in, you know, whether you're at Chick-fil-A or McKenzie or, or some or Google. It doesn't matter because the beauty of it is it's just the question how you answer it. That's the difference. And so and each each answer will be completely different. So, uh, my name isn't even on the cover of the journal. Cause as soon as you put pen to paper, it becomes your book and mm-hmm. you're literally writing your leadership book and you start getting in the practice of how to ask questions. And so, so I stuck with the same themes in each section and I made it formulaic, uh, intentional, as training, as repetition. So now leaders, as they ask themselves questions and they start a a practice of asking questions, they can now take that same practice into their organization and ask questions and know how to ask questions and know uh, certain, you know, ask single questions, open, close, So, so to ask certain questions and in a way of asking to then get more information from their teammates.
0: Hey guys, we're going to get back to this podcast in just a moment, but I just want to recognize one of our sponsors. That sponsor is Manscaped. Here we go. You're going to want to listen to this one. Chances are you probably know someone who has had an accident using a razor in a very, very sensitive area. We've all probably seen that movie, there's something about Mary with the beans and the Franks and getting the Franks over the beans and all that great stuff. Well, it can be equally embarrassing if you are trying to make yourself look presentable for a night out and you have to go to the hospital explaining why you're bleeding below the the waist. What Manscaped offers are precision engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped obsesses over technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Manscaped is trusted by over two million men worldwide. That's two million sets of jewels. Possibly more, I don't know. People live in strange parts of the world. We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You will get 20% off and free shipping with the code fieldcraft at manscaped.com. Here's the thing about Manscaped. uh, They have created the best ball trimmer yes i said ball trimmer as in testicles as in family jewels called the lawnmower 3.0 it's actually on the third generation and it features a cutting edge uh, with ceramic blades to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology guys you don't want to cut yourself up down there i don't know from experience but i have a funny feeling I'm, i'm willing to bet george bell might i'm just throwing it out there uh i know feel confident shaving my guys using the manscaped stuff you should too so please check out manscaped please use the field, the code fieldcraft you're going to get 20% off free shipping at manscaped.com protect yo junk check him out now I work for a company that's run by a former military guy and now we're in the the private sector and obviously that's what you've done uh as part of your career is you've done leadership consulting i'm sure people are asking like okay well ask ask dan a question here and i'm going to right now from your experience consulting with different companies what do you find some of the major leadership mistakes to be and what are some of the common characteristics or attributes of a good leader and it doesn't necessarily have to be someone that goes from a military, uh, you know, complex to the civilian world, but in general in a corporation, like what are say three things to look out for and three things that you should celebrate?
2: So I'm writing this down. <laughs> <So I laughs> wait,
0: sure wait, 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 you're everything. scribing? Hold on. Wait, the guy I'm, that I'm created a journal this. is actually doing what he told us to do. Oh, oh okay.
2: yeah. I, I, I write all the time. So, I'm going to answer your question, but I'm going to answer it differently.
0: Okay, fire away. <laughs>
2: so people talk about high performance, right? Like Kevin, talk to me about high performance. Like I want to know the the high speed ninja moves to be a high performer. And what I've learned um, is it's really a few things, and this and this also ties into the pre trauma stuff. Some of you will show up like Dan teach me how to run really fast or, Hey, I want to get my mile time down. But as I'm looking at this person, they have a 60 pound pack on their back. I'm like, Hey, why don't you take off the pack? And they're like, Oh, what pack? So the awareness of the pack that's on their back isn't even there and they're trying to run. And it's like, Hey, if we actually like slowly take the weight out of this pack, it'll lighten your load and your performance will increase so hey let's do a little bit of both let's train you're on the track you're moving and as you're moving we're going to pause and we're going to talk about some of these things that are, that you have currently shouldered uh, right now and so with the coaching it's working both with the past of things that they've been through ways to unpack that and things that may have at one time helped them out or or serve them that no longer uh, really work with them or needed moving into their future. So I spend a lot of time doing that with clients. And what I've seen with the performance piece is the consciousness. I don't want to say the presence because it's not necessarily being present in the moment, just really the, the level of consciousness around their leadership practice. So somebody's like, hey, Dan, what's your workout? Oh, I do you know, push, pull legs, you know, then I do cardio or I do this. I'm very aware of what I do. Hey, when was the last workout? Hey, I worked out this morning. I can speak to it as I work with leaders. Hey, what can you speak of in this moment? Or what have you worked on in the past specific to your leader development? And often there's not a specific answer. So then creating more awareness on their own personal leadership practice. So organizations will put events, they'll like, hey, Dan, will you do a keynote for the company, sure. Hey, will you do this? Hey, it's, uh, or people listen to podcasts or read books or, you know, watch YouTube stuff, whatever it is. And what I like to do is challenge leaders, what are they practicing? So to take that, that knowing to doing and to put conscious effort moving forward. Hey, this month I'm going to work on my managerial skills. Awesome. Managerial skills, that's a big category. What's specific to that? Do you not want, do you need to really focus on hey, man, I really ignore organization, like it's not my thing, I'm not good at it, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Oh, okay, that's interesting because what I'm hearing is is a pattern of beliefs around how they view something. And so I'll start working with the individual just on their perspective around it. And then we'll start working towards being better organized, whatever that looks like to them. So really just showing up, being more conscious around their leadership practice, whatever is needed in the moment for both that leader, their team and the mission. And that's where the alignment comes in. And I'll just pause there for a sec. Yeah.
0: it's it sounds like you' answered both questions that I asked the you know what's wrong and and what's right in your way, but it in a way that if you're tracking what you're saying, it makes total sense uh, It just sounds like a lot of like task org right like having people understand exactly what they have to do, having something common to believe in uh, having a better understanding of what you're doing I mean it, it seems like if you don't have a good understanding, your company is going to falter. If you do, it's going to succeed. If you're not organized, it's going to falter. If you will, if you are, then it's going to succeed. So, I, I see that question being answered with one statement or one compound statement. But just look at either side of it, and you have your answer to both questions.
2: Yeah, and the last thing that I'll say on that is is then tying it all together and working with being a person of integrity. Which sounds so easy, connect spoken word to behavior. In a lot of issues in organizations, people are like, hey, they didn't, you know, goes around communication. I I don't want to get into like communication silos and what's shared and the style. However, just for leaders, and and I use the term leader very loosely. Mm -hmm. I used to be very protective, like leadership's this thing. Everyone can show up as a leader in their own way. And how I define leadership in one word is guidance. And it's really this philosophy of inside out. So we guide ourselves, right? We guide ourselves. If I get up in the morning, if I sleep in, whatever it is, those are my decisions. So essentially I guide myself to my behavior and whatever that behavior is i'm showing something i'm modeling something and i'm influencing something whether it's negative or positive i don't that's that's to be decided by somebody else but to understand that like hey it starts with how i guide myself sometimes people think of like oh i'm not a leader and they'll discount themselves well you are you lead yourself you may be part of a team Part of the thing and not the formal leader, but informally you guide yourself and therefore you influence and you contribute. So how you show up that starts internally. Once again, that goes into thinking about your thinking and metacognition and self-awareness and journaling is just a tool to tease those things out to tease maybe some of those limiting beliefs out to maybe tease some of your mental models that you use throughout the day to recognize and tease out the moods that you have throughout the day right so as humans we're patterns we're patterns of thinking patterns of feeling patterns of moods patterns of sensation patterns in body behavior uh body behavior and mannerisms and so now as a leader hey what you're saying is it aligned with what you're doing? And that's like the number one thing universally, not here in the US or, you know, in the States or, hey, in Western countries, it is universally what you say doesn't line up with what you do.
0: Yeah, we, we were talking before we got online about a, a, a mutual PSYOC, uh tribal brother, Justin Garcia, you know, and he always talks about you know, strength is always right, you know what I mean? Like choose strength. If you have an option in your day to either have a moment of weakness or a moment of strength and it's your choice which path you go down, choose strength. And that sounds exactly like what you're talking about. When you wake up in the morning, how you you wake up in the morning and what you do to start off your day sets you on a trajectory of either success or failure. And it usually can be closely correlated to either strength or weakness. Um, So I, I see that. As something that you know, I want to I want to live by because I want to live a, a good life, and I know that if I make the right choices, it's gonna, you know, it's gonna be an easier way to do that. Um, but I want to get to something that you just said, and I want to ask you before I forget because I've had a lot of coffee today. Maybe that's my little weakness thing, but maybe it provides me a little bit of strength and helps me get through the day. Um, you said that you're incredibly protective of leadership, and. I remember when we first met you were telling me about how you're in charge of a program at the naval uh, academy that essentially is like a pre uh navy seals buds pre-buds uh like training program and then you told me a a number that i was floored by with how many students that go through that program actually succeed when they do go through buds Uh, can you talk a little bit about that because i think the listeners would would be amazed when they find out how you can select and be very careful of who you push forward through that program and kind of the results that you're able to get out of it.
2: Sure, no problem. Just one more thought too, yeah, as, you're, yeah, as yeah. you were talking about, you know, choose strength. And I love that, choose strength. So what I will say, so that's, that's a very strong uh, statement, choose strength. So when it comes to... Setting so let's say somebody's like listens and hears that and they're like, Oh, I want to do that. And mm-hmm. now what's next? Choose strength. Okay, that's right, great. Right. What is next what does next look like? And so what I would say to what does next look like is what does next look like for you? So what is choosing strength look like for you? Pick one, maybe two things to focus on. And like, hey, this is what uh, this is going to be my focus, and then create a small goal around it. And I do a lot of reading and researching, and it's like, pick a challenging goal. And yes, and what I would say to it is, if it's too challenging, don't get discouraged, go ahead and diminish the goal. And that surprises a lot of people. But what is most important, your movement forward? or staying still Mm -hmm. what's most important that i would say in this moment and probably what most people would say is just forward movement so if the goal that you pick is too big diminish it because what matters is the movement forward so to make the goal the goal attainable and and that may just be like hey i'm gonna set out my clothes tonight for the gym and that's it and maybe the win, and that goes to my next thing, look for the win. So it's like, oh man, I choose strength and oh uh, I ate the whole cherry pie, you know, late last night. Like, oh, I suck, I'm a loser. Okay. Yeah, maybe. But now the next now it's a new day. So that's behind you. So focus back on strength. Focus back on the goal. And look for the win. Where was the win in that? The win is your awareness was there, you recognized it, and you're resetting and you're you're standing back up and you're moving forward. So those are just kind of some helpful tips that as I constantly work with leaders on goal attainment, just for the leader to show themselves some grace. You know, maybe they fell or they slipped, that it's okay. Hey, where's the win? Hey, you recognize you fell. You recognize your slip. That wasn't there before. Or, hey, you at least set your clothes out. Hey, there was at least a step forward. And now look for that win. Don't get discouraged. Stand back up. Say your same mantra. You know, choose strength or whatever it is. And look to move forward. Um, what's your, I'm curious as to your thoughts on that. Why well, I, 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 I the I, academy.
0: I, I'm a big fan of of the paradigm shift i'm a big fan of uh you know having little victories i'm a big fan of of understanding that those little victories even though it might not be the most monumental thing it can build momentum um you know it, going back to teaching at the high school level i mean it's very easy to talk about goal setting there because we're dealing with essentially anything over 65 is passing and yet you know, 70 to 80 is a C, or 70 to 79 is a C, 80 to 89 is a B, and so forth. And often I would hear students say something like, I'll never get an A. And I would say, well, yeah. you know, that's that's a, not the way you should be thinking about it because look, you were getting all Ds, now you're getting Cs. You need to celebrate that success. You've gone up a whole letter grade. And you know what, if you've done it once, you will eventually do it, you, you'll eventually do it again. And it, what was really frustrating as an educator was when I would hear a parent say, well, my student has never received anything lower than a 100 because there are a lot of teachers that would just give grades to, you know, because of pressure or whatever, or they'd hear the reputation and, and not judge the kid honestly. And I would say to those parents, I'd say, well, should I say the same logic? Should I use the same type of statement to a kid that's never never passed anything? If your kid can't get anything lower, is it true that a kid will never get anything higher? And parents mm. never parents never want to hear that. So I think it's really important that you do look and you say like, "Okay, well maybe you didn't get that goal, that high high achieving goal like you like you said." but what did you get? What was the success? Cause there's something there. And, you know, from a training aspect, like, you know, we're, we're expanding here at Fieldcraft. We're, we're running courses in different locations and we don't always get a full sellout course, but Hey, we proved that we could get a good number of people in these given locations. So let's celebrate that. Um, and as far as the whole cherry pie thing, I don't blame that guy at all. Uh, if it's a good homemade cherry pie, I'm absolutely diving into head first, uh, especially with good crust. Um, so, but my, my weakness is cheesecake. So if there are any listeners and you guys want to like send me something, just don't send <laughs> me, just, just like send me like cheesecake and, and we're good, you know? So, uh, well,
2: yeah. well, that guy was me the other day for Father's Day and my daughter made me my favorite cherry pie and I'm the only one in the house that eats cherry pie and I totally <laughs> ate the whole cherry pie in one night. So, so that was I was that guy, That's all and right. I, I don't feel bad at all because it was so good. Um, so to answer your question on, on the Naval Academy Mids, so there's about 1,200 uh, per class. So the Naval Academy is a, a small school. So we essentially take the the juniors, uh, up-and-coming seniors, and oh, I'm sorry, we take the juniors before their the summer of their senior year, and we'll do a selection uh, twice a year. And so there's normally about 200 young adults that want to come out and, and screen. And out of those 200, we whittle it down to 60, normally about 60. And then we send 60 that summer out to San Diego and then San Diego whittles it down to to about 35. And then out of those 35, um, they're told their senior year that, hey, you're one of the 35. And then when they graduate from the Naval Academy, they'll then get orders typically within the year to go to Bud's, they sprinkle them out, they don't all go at the same time. Then they go out to Bud's and then there's about an 80% attrition rate. So not all of them make it through. Um, the majority, uh, a lot of them may, do make it through. It's the highest statistic, uh, that make it through out of any group, out of any organization, uh, is this, it's this rough 80% number that, that make it through from the Naval Academy. And I wish I could say that it's, you know, something I do or the instructor does. Um, It's really my, at least my theory on it, is it's just a naval academy. So the grind, the day in, the day out, being around uh, the midshipmen and other classmates and just the high level of competition that's there to compete for these spots um, it makes it very, very, very competitive. so therefore the candidates need to be very strong, very tough, very smart individuals.
0: yeah, we have a we have a guy that I'm actually talking to right now. He's actually a former high school student of mine. Who's at one of the military academies and I'm trying to get him on the podcast eventually to talk about what it's like at that military academy but in when he's come back and he's visited and he's like hey you know I want you to have this mug I want you to have this patch this and that he's told me some of the, the details of that competitiveness and how I mean you could i mean you could be the valedictorian of your school but now you're going to an academy where you might be one of many valedictorians or one of many salutatorians and i think that competitiveness obviously is going to carry over from the academic world that military academic world to you know your program without giving anything away i mean when you talk about like you're you're sorting them out and you're 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 narrowing them down you're whittling them down without giving anything away to give anyone an unfair advantage. I mean, what are some of the, what are some of the ways that people kind of do that to themselves or what are you looking for? Uh, that makes you say like that person's not, not fit for, for this position.
2: So, so what I would tell the mids is I'm going to apply physical pressure in a sense to not literally, um, cut them open to see what their hearts are made out of and that's and that's really what the program does is it applies this external physical pressure to see what's on the inside and as they say the eyes are the gateway to the soul and a lot of times i can look at an individual and you can see when some you know you've spent enough time doing what you're doing to to look at somebody and like oh man they're checked out Mm -hmm. um they're you know they're just going through the motions so it's really that those same looks show up there and hey if somebody's just if they go inside and if they're just focused on themselves if they're still able to be present to focus on the team to push themselves so it's really the high, the higher performers are actually easy during the selection process i don't even know their names what I'm paying attention to, and the low performers, they're easy cause they're, they're moving out. Where I actually noticed I spent a lot of my time was right on that border. Hey, if I only have so many seats, who is that, you know, 60th to 70th group that I really need to look at that's on the border. Cause I don't have to fill all the seats. And there's times where, you know, somebody thought they were going, they actually made it through the whole process. And afterwards, I was like, no, you made it through, but You didn't, <laughs> and we let you finish for your own sake. And we explained this to him like, hey, you made it, however, you don't get to move on. Because you did not complete it in such a way that deserved for you to move on, but you at least finished this thing. So hold on to that that's the win a lot of people don't make it so it's so it's really that gray area that that i would focus on of like hey who's who's going to go out to san diego and who's not going out to san diego
1: hey guys we just want to interrupt the podcast for just a moment and tell you about another one of our sponsors kalo rings um you're probably like me an outdoors guy And if you spend a lot of time in the outdoors and you're married or you wear rings, uh, that generally becomes a problem. Uh, I can't tell you how many times my wedding ring has gotten in the way of me doing an activity. And that's not just outdoors, that's all over. I'm gonna tell you about a a quick experience I had when I was younger. Um, I had a ring on my finger and I was moving a table. And cut a corner a little too close and I smashed my finger into the corner of a wall and the table bent the ring into my finger, cut off the circulation and some quick thinking, uh, we got the ring cut off, but uh, had an almost almost scare there with, uh, with my finger and the ring getting smashed against my finger. Um, years later, uh, I was married and my wedding ring just got in the way a lot it was it was kind of big and I would do things I would I would play sports I would go outside hike I would I would be in the outdoors uh, and it just got in the way um, a little bit later I found out about these silicone rings Kalo the original silicone ring maker has got comfort figured out uh, you can you don't even notice that you're wearing it um it's lightweight and you don't have to worry about smashing your finger you don't have to worry about it getting in the way uh you don't have to worry about it uh you know rubbing against things when you're when you're playing golf or anything like that um it's a simple way for people with an active lifestyle to wear a wedding ring and not have it just get in the way a lot and not have it be uncomfortable and or potentially uh, dangerous to your finger uh, should you make a lapse in judgment and in corner cutting. Um, so our listeners can get 20% off by going to com forward slash Fieldcraft. That's q a l o Q-A-L-O.com forward slash Fieldcraft, 20% off. If you go over there to their website, and go to that link; it'll automatically be applied, and you can have your ring show your dedication to your marriage without it getting in the way and without, uh, you know, without it being annoy- an annoyance on your fingers. All right, guys, uh, appreciate it. We'll get back to the podcast.
0: Now, when you went through buds, were you an East Coast guy or a West Coast guy?
2: so i was both i i did my first i did 10 years on the west coast and then i went out to the east coast and i i i haven't gotten home yet
0: (laughs) (laughs) and talk us talk us through a little bit of your career because i think uh you know it's interesting i know that uh you know, when we first met, you know, it was through a mutual friend Tom Kyer and he's like, Hey, I need you to come and help with this program that we're doing and he's like, You gotta look up Dan Luna and when I looked when I looked you up, I was looking up uh a speaking engagement that you did, I believe it was at the Naval Academy and I saw mm-hmm. super highly decorated. I'm like, wow, this guy's done a lot. Um, but knowing you now, I know you probably won't talk about some of the things that you've done, but maybe just give us a, maybe like a 30,000 foot view of, of what your career looked like, you know, the timeline of those those 10 years or so.
2: Yeah, sure. So I came in pre 9-11, um, I, I couldn't name it then. Uh, I can name it now. Uh, It was essentially, I put myself through a rite of passage. So as a young man uh, raised by a single mom, it was just like, okay, what is it to be a man? And so really asking myself that question and, you know, that going through adolescence and and just seeing different men and, and I was looking at different things and I was like, oh man, if I put myself through this hard military training, you know, then I'll be a man. And, um, you know, as I really pull apart my thinking back then. And so what was the hardest thing to go through after all my research? Well, it was, it was buds and obviously what, what the SEAL teams did, I thought was cool too. So, so everything fit. And I was just like, Oh man, that's what I'm gonna do. So went in 99, when I was in BUDS class 228. There's actually a, a book written about my BUDS class uh, by Dick Couch. It's called The Warrior Elite. Uh, went to made it through BUDS. So uh, here's another numbers for you. So day one of BUDS, there was 118. So when we formed up class 228, there was 118 guys there. Out of 118 guys, there's 10 of us that graduated oh out of the original God. class. So out of the original 118, only 10 of us from that day one made it all the way through to the end of the program. Uh, My class ended up graduating. We had a class of 20 that graduated. Ten were roll-ins, so from other phases, for whatever reasons, uh, they rolled in. And we had a graduating class of of 20. But out of the original, there was only 10 of us that made it. Um, I got assigned to a West Coast SEAL team. I was at SEAL Team 1. I did uh, ten years at SEAL Team One. Did you know? So while I was there, in my first platoon doing a workup, I was out at our desert training site. Nine Eleven happened, and so that you know that changed not only my world but a, a lot of other people's worlds as well, um, maybe even globally. So we started getting ready for. Really, for war, you know, we a lot of our technology and and equipment was old. It was all Vietnam era tactics, and it was crazy to start. You know, Team One was a big, you know, Team One was in Vietnam. So to have the legacy of Viet Vietnam really still be strong at SEAL Team One, and so a lot of our tactics and a lot of the pass down was still from the Vietnam guys. Um, our kit how we moved all our stuff and so to go from that to when i retired uh 20 years later and then when i was at you know a specialized team on the east coast to have you know all the technology that i had on my body then in really a short amount of time it's crazy to think about um so it's been a wild ride. I did 10 years at one. Like I said, I went out to the East coast. There's a specialized team out there that, that I spent some time with. And, um, I really just found myself and this kind of ties into some th- the work that I'm doing now. I found myself in this downward spiral. And I'm glad that I had enough self-awareness to, to see the downward spiral and who I was pulling down with me. And, I was like, hey, this needs to change. I need something totally different. And uh, the Naval Academy sounded like the best thing because I wanted little oversight. I wanted to go back to school. I wanted to relax. I wanted to get to know my family and uh, spend time at home. And I had some injuries that I was working through. So I I wanted time just to to heal up. And uh, I was right. The Naval Academy was definitely uh, very, very different And it was a, it was a great experience and I'm actually back there. I don't know if you know this. So I'm back at the Naval Academy, even now that I'm retired, uh, just in the past month, I am now the resilient warrior fellow out of the Stockdale center for ethics and leadership at the Naval Academy. And what the Stockdale center is, it's essentially the think tank for the Naval Academy. So they work internal and external of the Naval Academy. So I'm, I'm looking at some projects internal to work with uh, some of the company officers and uh, doing some other stuff with the students. And then externally, uh, they are interested in the work that I'm doing with my dissertation on pre trauma. So some of the programs that. Uh, that the Naval Academy is looking at doing. And then the Naval Academy does a lot of work with other agencies. So either leader development or uh, some of the pre-trauma work I can share with some of the other agencies as well.
0: At the Naval Academy now, are you using the other book that you're in that military virtues book that you sent me or Are you using that as like required reading or are you having the guys, you know, read through that or, you know, is that, is that along the lines of what you're doing or is it something completely different?
2: No. So it's a little bit different. I'm not. There's an ethics professor there at the Naval Mm -hmm. Academy that oversaw that book. So they use that in his in his ethics class. Um, I depending on what I'm doing, I I will I'll actually use that book for law enforcement. So it's a really good book, at least I think, uh, for somebody in the law enforcement. So if I do work with SWAT teams or anyone in the law enforcement field, I'll recommend that book. Uh, But at the Naval Academy, they'll get it recommended to them, uh, typically in their ethics courses.
0: Yeah, I, I wish law enforcement could get more training. I mean, I I just don't see how the, the whole defund the police thing makes any sense on any level to anyone with even two cents of knowledge uh, because, you know, oh, the police are the problem. Let's just take all the money away from them and let's make sure that their training is subpar. Uh, I, I feel for those guys. And, you know, we have a, a number of them that, you know, work for us as contractors in different ways. And, you know, I, I wish them all the best i just know that they they, they're in a thankless profession so if you guys are listening you're law enforcement understand that there are people that support the hell out of you um, you know, and you know we're the we're the sane ones. Um, now, something you just mentioned, and I, I kind of want to talk about this, but obviously, like I, I try to respect people's privacy, and I don't usually talk about you know private lives. You said that you were back on the East Coast, and uh, you know it allowed you to spend time with the family. Now, I know that uh, you have mentioned your daughter; you have a son. Uh, shout out to Gabe. Um, <laughs> so, so uh, how were they? You know, in terms of like, what was that like? in, being away from them, you know, obviously you're, you're doing amazing things for this country. And I, I'm, I know, I know them, uh, and I know Gabe loves you to death. And I know he carries that, that knife that, uh, Andy over at uh, half face blades made for him with your old BDUs as the handle materials. How, how did they respond to you coming back? Like, like w- what's that like? And then also second part of this question, what advice do you have for people like from a pre-trauma perspective to be prepared to be away from their family for a long time.
2: Oh man, you asked me some big questions Dude, there. I, I don't uh,
0: ask the cheap ones. These are the good <laughs> ones. I
2: will, I will try and keep it short and to the point. No, oh, no, we um, have time.
0: We have time, man. Go for okay.
2: it. Okay. What I will say with the first question about the family is, uh, there's definitely still an exposed nerve there for mm-hmm. me. So if I, I, if I, if I go someplace, don't be surprised. Um, my daughter's 11. She was, she's fine. I'd say now, um, she was, she was much younger and there, there was things that, um, she had some issues to be honest with you, uh, because I was gone so much. Um, And I didn't really notice, and to be totally honest, uh, I didn't necessarily care. Like, it was just, hey, this is what I'm doing, and whatever they're going through, you know, Leslie, my wife, like, hey, work with them, get them counseling, whatever. Like, um, So there was some stuff, you know, but she was pretty young, so um, she vaguely remembers some of the, the bigger events that happened. Gabe's 16, coming up on 17 now and it's been a rough road for him, you know, um, even before this podcast, we were talking about tomorrow. So tomorrow's the, the 23rd and it's, we just call it, it's death day. And, uh, my best friend was killed, um, on the 23rd in a skydiving accident and he had just gotten back from an eight month deployment to Afghanistan and he got home and he's, and he jumped right into this, uh, static line uh jump master course because he was getting ready to take a platoon and he wanted to beef up his quals for the platoon you know just a a, a great operator phenomenal seal um a great guy you know i'm really it, brad kavner so you're mm-hmm. you've met his sister and so he uh you know his his parachute malfunctioned or his reserve malfunctioned pulled him out of the plane uh broke his neck and so he's buried buried at Arlington with his best friend and my good friend Aaron Vaughn, who was on uh, Extortion One Seven, and they're actually uh, Arlington was great because they tried getting them as close as as they could. So they're actually, I believe, like five five graves away from each other, and they're in the same row. So it's uh, it's really cool how Arlington uh, did that. And and Gabe was there for that. You know, it was his, you know, Gabe plays a guitar now because, you know, Uncle Brad played the guitar. You know, he has things and, you know, Gators did a really nice thing and remade some glasses that he had that were falling apart that I had for years. And I gave those glasses to Gabe. So for for a young man to be in the orbit, I just say, hey, Mm -hmm. people that are in your orbit, you know for law enforcement medical doctors and and I tie this into some of the pre-trauma stuff hey recognize what they're going through as well and and for a long time I just didn't pay attention and my own awareness wasn't there I was really focused on myself and I wasn't realizing you know all the other things to to those people really close to me and uh you know specifically Gabe and there's you know, he's really struggled with some things. So imagine being a young man, seeing your dad go off, knowing that, hey, this may be the last time I see him, even taking phone calls, because there's times where I took phone calls and you know there was a time period where a lot of guys were dying and they was just like, hey, who's dead now? You know, because I could hear the tone on the other side of, of the phone. So he's probably, he's been to more Arlington funerals than, than probably most military members. Um, and that's, you know, for, for a kid, that's, that's a lot and that's a lot of weight. And he was a man in the house and I was gone a lot. So, so he's shouldered and burdened a lot. So, and, and so we're, we're working through some things now and, you know, I I try and spend a lot more time now and I can't make up for the past, but I can be here in the present and I can be aware now in the present and, and help him out now and just set him up for for things later on down the road so i really just try and focus on that and um you know i I really am blessed like i i have a wife that you know i joke around i'm like man if i was if i was her i would have left me years ago and she she stayed by my side and so you know having a strong woman a strong uh strong mother a strong supporter and someone you know just that was just there for me, just loved me, regardless of you know how I showed up. So having that, and then uh, has been has been really a, a true blessing. And my kids are great. Um, so yeah, it, it you know what we do, there's secondary effects, you know, to to those in our orbit. Uh, how aware are we doing? You know, if we're if we're constantly angry or frustrated or whatever it is that we leave the worksite with. We carry that home so once again with a lot of my with a lot of the leaders that i work with corporate or whatever it is we'll talk about that and we'll talk about the transition even during the day hey how can you we often talk about picking up work or taking on a load how do you set that down how do you set Mm -hmm. work down how do you set that load down so when you go home you can be present or how do you create boundaries if you go home and you still have to work, what are boundaries that you can put in place? You know, are you constantly checking your email and phone just out of habit? Or can you be more conscious of that as as technology, as we're more connected? What are the expectations? So not necessarily saying, hey, this is right and this is wrong. Once again, just coaching the individual. Hey, what makes sense for their life? What makes sense so when they're at home they can have a better home experience and they can you know be a better parent um be a better partner
0: you know i I hear a lot of people say that they take their work home with them and i think it's important that if you take your work home with you you don't take all of your work home with you and what i mean by that is sometimes if your workspace is a negative one it's so easy to let that space interfere with your personal space at home and yet people do it all the time, right? And sometimes we don't even realize that we're inviting it in when we ask someone, hey, tell me about your day. (laughs) You know, maybe there should be a buffer where you get home and it's like, hey, for an hour, we're not talking about work. All right, let's talk about something else. And and maybe this is like Kevin Estella's therapy 101 to people that are out there. I don't know. But I think sometimes, like I know when I was in, in high school and my parents would ask me about a particularly stressful day, they'd be like, well, what, what, how was your day today? And I'm like, I really don't want to talk about it. And then they just keep going and it, it would just make me frustrated. So I, I think that's really important. For people to recognize is that, like you said, that uh, you know you, you have to you have to be careful with the work that you take home, and you have to have that ability to put that work down, because it, I mean it can be dangerous. It can be it can have many many ripples, uh, you know, and it, it can impact your life negatively. Um, wow, I mean you realize we've been talking for almost an hour. And I feel like we could still go and go and go. <laughs> um, we we
2: we barely touched on anything. Kevin. I know,
0: I know. Uh man, I you know I usually would do like like something like oh let me ask like ten or five five like fast fact questions about Dan Luna or something like that. But I feel like like that's almost that would like marginalize all the stuff that we talked about because I felt like it was a very important conversation to have. Um, I, I will say this on a positive note: you mentioned your best friend Dan. Uh, you mentioned uh, Bradley Kavner. You know, one of our good friends here at Fieldcraft is Jack Carr, and I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but do you know that Jack Carr actually put Bradley Kavner in his books, including the quote that I know is on your wall, and it's on the wall of Andrea's lodge up in Alaska.
2: I so I I know of Jack Carr. I don't know him, mm-hmm. um, and I wasn't. I knew his quote was in there. I didn't know um, he put parts of a bride in there. That's really cool.
0: That's oh yeah, awesome. yeah I. We talked. Jack, uh, Carr, and I talked offline about it, and he's like, "Really?" And I'm like, "Yeah, it's this lodge that I heard about from this guy Dan Luna," and he didn't he didn't know your name because I don't know what class he was in, um, but I was like, "Yeah, we're actually going back there, you know, this summer, so we're headed up there in August," um, and you know, it's just cool to be able to support that business, knowing that that was something that he was so interested in. Because, correct me if I'm wrong, and I've told this story, and I want to make sure I'm saying it right. That was his goal, right? He wanted to eventually leave the special forces community and he wanted to like essentially move up there and guide or, or have a lodge. Right.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, He loved it. He loved it up there. Um, yeah. And it's beautiful and it's uh, it's amazing for sure. Um, so actually I do have one more, one more thought
0: to,
2: to tie in. So whether it's leader or pre-trauma it's really this and i stress this practice not only this leadership practice and being more aware of what you're practicing and even what your current practice has been and what it currently is really helping leaders to move to this practice of asking questions and so we start in this idea of like asking yourself questions first rule don't ask why questions why questions will either reinforce your own biases and put you in some sort of, uh, defensive, uh, defensive, uh, position. Um, And then when you ask somebody else a why question, it's the same thing. They can reinforce their own bias and potentially put them in a a defensive position. So we stick with, with what, how, do, thought, feel, body questions, sensation, past, present, future. But it's this practice of asking yourself questions. And then as you start this practice, now you're asking others questions. And so to tie it into like, that's not just a good practice for your organization, for your leadership, it's a great practice to use at home with your kids. And so a lot of my coaching stuff, man, I have seen drastic changes in my own home as I shifted from making statements and telling, this is what, this is this, Gabe, just listen, blah, 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 blah to then asking questions and partnering up with the, with my own kid, like I would partner with colleagues. And when you mention, Hey, when I was a kid and I'd get back home, I didn't want to talk about it. And, you know, or if you would talk about it, what's the next thing, then they tell you, Oh, you know, they, <clears throat> I call it shooting on somebody. Oh, you know what you should do? Oh, please <laughs> tell me what I should do. You know? And I, in my own head, I'm like, Oh, they're getting ready to shit on me. Um, So now just using that same practice at home and really partnering with your kids and like, hey, how can I support you? You know, what does what do you need from me, you know, in this moment? So instead of making constantly making statements and saying things to really approach it from a totally So another reframe or another position, right, is to ask those questions like, hey, pal, I'm here for you Um, whenever you need it wherever that is so to make a statement like that and it doesn't have to be you know if that child doesn't want to speak about it then hey i'm here is there a later time that you may want to talk about it Uh, maybe in an hour hey i just need an hour to myself okay cool hey come find me in an hour or whatever it is so through asking questions you really open up possibilities
0: yeah that's that's incredible i gotta mention that to our uh family preparedness expert amber who we have over here. I'm sure she's going to start implementing that with her kids. Um, man, like I said, we, we've been going at this for an hour. And I mean, I know that you're a busy guy, so I appreciate your time. But we always give people a chance to, to say, like, hey, you know, this is where you can find me. In addition to in the journal that you created and in that Military Virtues book, where can people find you to follow you and all the work that you're doing?
2: So my website isn't the greatest um right now school's my main focus and uh you know I have two other jobs so I, I stay pretty busy and then I I do side work with law enforcement um for the journal you can just go to my website it's team3lx.com and lx is the roman numeral for 60 so it's really just 360 and then uh my company symbol is a medicine wheel, so I like a lot of Native American stuff, so just a holistic look at things. Uh, for me personally, I'm on Instagram. I think it's just dan.p.luna. I'm constantly every day, you know, maybe once a day, I'm like, I'm going to close this account down. I haven't closed it down yet. I'm still on there trying to do positive things like what you're doing uh, with social media. Uh, my company has a uh, an Instagram account as well, Team3LX. And I think that's it. Nice. If you want to get a hold of me, you can just go to my website email me through the website. Um, other than that, just gonna keep reading books and work on get keeping my hands soft and fluffy.
0: How much longer do you think you have in your dissertation process?
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm about two more years. Damn, um, it's
0: unbelievable yeah, how much work goes into it's that. A,
2: it is. A, I, I'll be honest with you, it's. It's humbling. It is. People are like, "Oh, it's just no." It's just. It's a grind. It's not like there's some intelligence involved, but it's just effort. It's effort, and you know, I'm looking at the stack of reading I have to do tonight and writing papers. It's like learning a new language. Academia has its own language, you know, to that it speaks in and it communicates in, and so it's just really studying another language. Um, and it just—it's a heavy lift. And if, if I didn't deeply believe in uh, in what I'm doing, I would not be doing this. That is for sure.
0: Well, man, keep doing what you're doing, because I think a lot of people are going to believe in what you're putting out there. I know just from the limited exposure I've had with you over the years, you know, in in passing and, and reading your stuff, I believe in it. I know you're gonna do incredible things. So. I appreciate your time today, and and again, if anyone's listening and you you have any questions about pre-trauma, uh, you know, please take a look at Dan's resources. If you are experiencing any type of you know negative feelings about. Post-trauma, I would highly recommend. There's no shame in admitting that you have an issue, uh, or that you have something that you need to have resolved. And believe me, there's communities out there that that value you, and they don't want to see you do something grave or or something that's you know irreversible. So please seek out those resources to uh, to help you find the help that you may need, Dan. Thank you so much for your time today. I, I really really appreciate it. And uh now that you're on or I'm on the West Coast, I'm in Utah, you know, maybe I'll be taking a jump out to California at some point when you're you're not getting your hands all buttery soft and we'll we'll go do something fun. <laughs> all right, sounds good, brother. Thanks for having me awesome. on. Awesome. Thanks a lot guys for listening. Uh this is the Field Crafts podcast. I'm Kevin Estella. We'll see you next time.